If I can just say a very warm welcome if you're visiting with us today. Uh, it's great to have you come and join on this Good Friday. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this day and as we now reflect upon the events of that first Friday and the death of your son, Father, fill our hearts with an understanding of what it was for and I pray your love and your grace and your forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been around here at St Matthews or in Manly, you may have seen the poster at the front, Jesus Is, and we've been inviting a conversation with the community about who do you think Jesus is. And today it's obviously the question to reflect on Jesus is dead. That's why we're here today. We're reflecting on the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. But you don't have to have been around long to know that this is called a day of goodness. It is Good Friday. And it's a paradox. Why is a day of death a good day? Uh, At the heart of Good Friday is the reality that there was a man who was abandoned and falsely trialled by his own people. He was handed over to the Roman rulers of the day who mocked him, they beat him, before they publicly executed him. And he died by way of crucifixion. And there were many ways that they could kill people in the early uh, church era, in the first century. Um, If they wanted to have mercy on you, they would literally cut your head off. It was quick, it was painless. But for those that they wanted to make an example of, they would crucify. And in many ways, crucifixion was kind of the ancient media campaign for good behaviour. The Romans had no trouble to string people up on crosses and with an agonising death, leave them to die there on the highways and the byways to remind people, this is what would happen if you rebelled against the Roman rule. And yet today, when you look um, at the cross, This figure of, if I can say, our saviour dying in a grotesque and horrific way um, is not how we often look at crosses today. Crosses have become art. Uh, It's fascinating. Um, There's a lounge room painting. No one in the first century would have ever thought that you would hang a picture of a cross on a lounge room wall. Um, It's become jewellery for people. There's David Beckham in all his glory. You can see there it's now tattoos and people have it for body art. Now, fascinatingly, it's also become a national symbol. We've got the English people here today. There's your flag. Now, this has also become part of the Australian flag. The cross really has become a symbol of great significance. And it's worth asking the question, um, why is the cross no longer viewed as a picture of brutality an instrument of shame and torture, but one of profound meaning. Uh, It's an object of art. It also is, if I can say, a symbol of national pride. What took place for this day of execution and humility to now be remembered as Good Friday? And the symbol of it, one that people are proud to wear. It's gone from a picture of shame to an object of art from a day of execution and ridicule to be celebrated with the national holiday. And I want to say to us, the greatest significance of the day is not the barbarity of what happened. And I'm not here today to remind you of the horror of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ in the sense of recounting step by step what he went through. What fascinates me is this, um, in the reading we've had today of the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, It's a long reading, about 30 verses that Fred read for us. 
But only two of them reflect, reflect similarly about the actual death. I'll read it to you. Uh, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. The actual description is incredibly brief of him being nailed to the cross. There's something to reflect on there because the actual narrative is much, much longer. Uh, what's remarkable is what Luke is interested in to record for all posterity is not, if I can say, the gruesome details of nailing Jesus to the cross as gruesome as they were, but rather we get a narrative that reflects on conversations that took place around the cross. And there's actually ten different people or parties that are involved as Jesus is dying. You've got Simon of Cyrene who carries the cross on his behalf to the place of death. You've got the daughters of Jerusalem who are weeping as they see Jesus dying. You've got the crowd that is watching Jesus die. You've got the religious leaders who are scoffing as Jesus dies. You've got the Roman soldiers. They are mocking as they hang him on the cross and Jesus dies. You've got the two thieves either side reflecting on Jesus dying. You've got the centurion praising God because Jesus is dying. You've got the women who are following Jesus. And then you've got Joseph of Arimathea who's taking care of Jesus' body after he's died. And there at the centre of all is Jesus. And all these events are taking place around us and Luke records them because, you see, the meaning of the cross you'll discover in these interactions that the people have as you read through the narrative. And there's three things that um, stand out for me from Luke's record of the Good Friday on the first occasion. The first is the warning of the cross. And the warning of the cross is this, don't be moved just by the horror of the crucifixion, rather be moved by the reality that there is a divine judgment coming. The first group that Jesus engages with are the daughters of Jerusalem and they're weeping. They are moved and affected by watching Jesus walk to his death. And in the words of the movie starring Sean Penn, they see a dead man walking. But I want you to note what Jesus says to them in verse 27. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and they wailed for him. And Jesus turned to them and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, as he is literally walking, about to be nailed up, he says, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Now, it's worth noting when you read through Luke's Gospel, women always have a very positive place. Women are those who are at the beginning supporting his ministry financially. Women are people who are coming to him and finding mercy and grace and he has words of love towards them. He does have harsh words to say to people in the Gospels. They're always the men, never the women. But yet at the end of his life, there is a sharpness as he turns to these women who he's demonstrated he has a special place for against, if I can say, the cultural trend of the day. He says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Now why does he say that? Well he quotes here an Old Testament saying. It's from Hosea. 
Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they'll say to the mountains, quoting Hosea chapter 10, Fall on us and to the hills cover us. Now in Hosea, when that is quoted, Hosea is saying there is a great and dreadful and awful day that is coming. It is the day when God will come in judgment on this people and this world. It is a day to be afraid of. It is an awesome day. And Hosea said it is such, if I can say, a fearsome day. The people of that day will cry out, Hills, please cover us. Mountains, come over us. Why? Because we don't want to come face to face with the living God in judgment. What would happen if today we were to meet God on our own this day? The sobering question. Hosea is saying if that were to happen, it would be a day that you would call out to the mountains and say, cover us because we cannot cope. We are in fear and terror because we are meeting God in judgment and we need something to cover us and protect us on that day. The Bible is very clear. It says it is a fearsome thing to fall into the hands of the living God and no person can stand in his presence alone. We would quake with fear our sins would find us out. We would be exposed as not being righteous. And even to the women of the day that he loved, Jesus says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. You see, he's saying, you are not weeping properly until you weep for yourself, until you realise that you too will be judged and laid bare before God on the final day of wrath. You see, he's saying to the women, you don't get why I'm dying. You're not afraid for yourself, you're just afraid for me, don't be. And the message is this, it's a message of warning, until we weep over our own sin, we will never be ready to meet God. The cross is a warning, judgment is coming. But secondly, the cross is incredibly misunderstood. And when you read through this narrative, what strikes me is the people just don't get why Jesus is dying. And it's no different to today. People don't get why he died on the cross. Uh, the, women, the women who are weeping don't get it. Yes, there's emotion there. There's sadness about what is happening. But Jesus has said, you don't get why I'm dying. Uh, the religious leaders, they stand on and they just look and just think Jesus is a defeated man. They didn't get it. The Roman soldiers, they mocked him as being weak as they killed him. The thief dying next to him didn't get it as he railed at him. He saved others. Let him save himself as he's the God's Messiah, the Chosen One. If you're the King of the Jews, save yourself. You see, the leaders of the day, they wanted a leader who would lead them to victory. Messiahs don't die. Messiahs are strong and mighty. 
and they conquer our enemies. And look, you're saying this man dying on a Roman cross is our great conquering king? How ridiculous. Well, if you're really who you say you are, come on, come down. If you are the Messiah, the mighty one, come and defeat the Romans. Prove that you are who you say you are. The soldiers mock him. Are you really the king of the Jews? Well, then save yourself. Come on, off you get. And they hurled further insults at him. And one of the criminals says, aren't you the Messiah? Well, come on, save yourself and save us. Save me. It's a fascinating little phrase he has. It's a prayer I think most people at some point in their life will actually utter. At some point in our life, we will get desperate. And we will cry out, God, if you're really there, save me. Have you ever heard that kind of prayer prayed? Maybe you've prayed it yourself. I know I've expressed that. God, show me that you are real by saving me from this predicament. We all pray it. Because at some point in this world, life will disappoint us. Life will undo us. Life will crush us. Depression, emptiness, sickness, marriage breakdown, relationship breakdown. And we think, maybe, maybe God can fix my problem. Maybe God can fix my pain. Maybe God can rescue me. And so out of our pain we cry, God, if you're real, just take my pain away. Fix me. And you see, here's the problem. We're not praying, God, I want to know you. God, I want you to be God over my life. What we want is just for God to take the pain away. Now, that's not a wrong thing to want pain to be taken away, to want a marriage to be fixed, to want cancer to be healed. But there's a deeper problem. We only want God to fix our problems. We don't want God to be over us and guiding us. And the thief is just like that. He wants Jesus to be powerful so that his skin is saved, but not his soul. And when people look at the cross, they don't get it. And I think many people today, as they hear the story of Jesus dying, they hear the story of a heroic man, an incredible example of sacrifice, of love, of self-giving. But what they don't see is that here is the one who stands in their place as their substitute. So often they will see an example. But what they don't see is actually he is standing where I deserve to stand. He is dying the death that I should die. He is taking the judgment that I should face for my sin. The cross is the place where Jesus substitutes for us. And that's the great irony of these barbs. You see, Jesus does not respond to them. He could have come down from the cross that day and saved himself. But if he'd done that, He couldn't save us and the world. 
And so you'll notice there is no response to the torts, the mockery. There's only a prayer. I think it's one of the most profound prayers you'll find in all of Scripture. As he experiences the full wrath of the crowd and the mockery of the Roman army, he prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They do not get why I am dying. But I love them. And I pray for their forgiveness. It is incredible. Do you get the cross? One day we will all face God. And if we face God by ourselves uncovered, we will be exposed. And we will call out for the mountains to cover us or something to protect us on that great and awful day. But Jesus went and stood in our place as our substitute and saviour that day so that we would have our sin, our evil, our rebellion, our brokenness paid for. the meaning of the cross. Good Friday is Good Friday because of what the cross means. It's a day of grace and forgiveness. There's only one person who was commended that day by the Lord Jesus. It's remarkable because he is the most sinful of all who gathered. There were two thieves hanging on the cross and one has wanted to have his skin saved but the other actually wanted his soul saved and he's hanging on the cross because we record it's recorded he's a criminal it was most likely he had murdered people he was a thief he was a robber and he gets two profound truths that day that no one else got he firstly got that he understood who he really was in God's sight a sinner And that as he is dying there, he is paying justly and rightly for the things that he's done. That's why he calls out to the criminal, the other one, and says, don't you fear God? Since we are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man's done nothing wrong. And he realises in a profound way that he is a broken, sinful man. And that He is about to meet God in judgment. And what is profound, that God would be right to bring judgment upon him. We are getting what our deeds deserve. And I think this is one of the hardest things people have to admit. To come to a point of conviction in your own life that I've blown it with God. And we want to run away from that question about am I in a right relationship with God? And we want to avoid the question of will my sins find me out? They will. But you know, we suppress that. We don't want to realise and admit to ourselves and to God actually, I've blown it. And I cannot stand in your presence. 
it's the most difficult of places to come to. In our pride, we think we're better than we are. In our religion, we think we're doing enough to be okay. In our irreligion, we think it's not going to matter. But this thief comes to the point of brokenness and confession because he knows he is sinful. And the second thing is he understands what Jesus is really doing on the cross. The thief says in one simple sentence to Jesus, in a way that changed his entire word, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. The words of the great old hymn come to mind in reflecting on these words that the thief offers. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling, naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. That hymn speaks so powerfully about what was happening with this thief. He literally is naked on the cross. He literally has nothing in his hand to bring to the Lord Jesus. He simply clings to the hope that this Jesus could be the one that could forgive him and rescue him. And he says simply, remember me, Lord Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. And you might ask the question, how did he come to this revelation as he is dying on the cross? I think he saw two things. The first is he heard the Lord Jesus pray for forgiveness for those in front of him. And he looked at Jesus and thought, maybe, just maybe, you could forgive me. And so he looks to him and he sees, secondly, that death will not be the end for Jesus. Come, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, Jesus has a kingdom that is beyond this world. It would be beyond his death, where he would rule and he would be powerful. And he says, Lord Jesus, remember me when you come into that kingdom. And Jesus utters those famous words, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. In other words, this death you are now experiencing will not be the end. You're actually going to be with me. And you see, that's why the two thieves are so profoundly different. The first thief just wanted his skin saved. The second thief wanted to be with Jesus and centre his life in Jesus. And he just hopes beyond hope that there is grace and mercy to be found in this dying man next to him. And Jesus confirms his faith with those words I tell you today, the truth, you'll be with me in paradise. And you see, this is the gospel. It is a message of grace. It is a message that says um, you don't have to clean yourself up and then God will accept you. No, he will take you just as you are. He will accept you with your faults. He will accept you with your failings. He will take you with your sins. He will take you with your doubts. He will take you with your pride. 
He will take you with your whatever because he'll forgive you. Because he's died for you. Because he stood in your place and absorbed the wrath that you deserve. Because ultimately, he loves you. And he doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to be with him for eternity. Friends, that is the meaning of the cross. It is a message of grace. It is a message of love. It is a message of forgiveness. That there is no one who is too far away from God. No one who is too broken for God. No one who is too rebellious or sinful for God. Because on the day Jesus died, the most sinful of that gathering, a criminal dying for his sins, is the very one who finds forgiveness and grace and acceptance. And so I call, you, call us today, come to the Lord Jesus as you are. Come and bring your doubts. Come and bring your pride. Come and bring your anger and your bitterness and your brokenness and your doubts and self-righteousness and your religion and your irreligion. And lay it all before the foot of the cross and look up and see there is a Saviour dying for you who loves you and who is calling you to come to him and to come home. Because nothing in our hands can we bring. We must simply, to the cross, clean. Naked to God the dress helpless actually we look to him for grace foul though we are we flee to the fountain of grace and we cry wash me saviour or I die May may those be our words this day and I want to lead us in a prayer I don't know what your response has been to the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you get the cross, whether you've received grace and mercy and forgiveness from his hand because you've worked out that you know he died for you. Let's all reaffirm our faith together and come to him in prayer and come to his cross and offer our lives to him in service. Let me pray. Pray with me if you'd like. Dear Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for Jesus dying in my place. I thank you for your grace, your acceptance, your forgiveness. Please forgive my sin. Simply to your cross, I cling. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. Amen.